You're listening to the Earn That Body Podcast, episode number 224. Welcome to the Earn That Body Show with Kim Eagle. Kim is an award-winning personal trainer. She trains her clients all over the world online and is passionate about empowering people by getting fit and healthy. podcast here to bring you information today about BMI, Body Mass Index. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe your doctor has spoken to you about your BMI. And today I want to go over a few things because I have heard some recent clients say that their doctors told them that their BMI was too high or too low. And it really brought a lot of questions on about the accuracy and efficiency of using BMI to tell you if you are in fact healthy or have health concerns. So we're going to go over all of that today after this. And now it's time for the Eagle's Eye on Health. These are Kim's quick tips, latest health news, or piece of weekly inspiration. In today's Eagle Eye on Health, we are just briefly going to talk about what is called long-term COVID. Some people call it long-term COVID. Some people call it long COVID. And I really don't want to get political or into the vaccine or any of that. It's just, That is not my place to tell people what to do. But I don't think that some people understand or have heard about long COVID and how it could impact you and whether or not that means you should or shouldn't get the vaccine. Now, that being said, the vaccine is a personal choice, but I do want to be very clear that I did get the vaccine because I do fully believe in science. And all of the science out there right now backs up the fact that this vaccine is safe and is going to help you prevent getting COVID. And definitely, even if you got COVID, you would not be going into the hospital and potentially getting some of these long COVID symptoms. So in case you don't know what long COVID is, it is basically long-term side effects that people are getting from COVID. Now, a lot of people get COVID and some have no symptoms at all, and that's great for them. Some people have mild symptoms, and then of course, some people have severe symptoms and are put into the hospital, ventilators, all of that. But mild or moderate COVID, which can last about two weeks, can still lead to something called long COVID or post-COVID syndrome. And some of the symptoms that are involved in it, to me, are a lot more terrifying than getting the vaccine. So what are some of these long-term impacts that some people are getting? Certainly not all, but definitely enough that it frightens me personally. Now, some people get breathing issues after COVID-19. So a bad case of COVID-19 can produce scarring and sometimes permanent problems in the lungs, but even mild infections can cause persistent shortness of breath, and basically people are getting winded easily even after light exertion. And lung recovery after COVID-19 is possible, but they say it can take a very long time. Now, some people are even getting heart problems, and this is after COVID. So that's what I'm trying to impress upon you is this is not during having your COVID infection. At this point, COVID is no longer in your bloodstream. If they were to take a test, you no longer have COVID. But people are having heart problems, including inflammation of the heart muscle, 
after they recover from COVID. In fact, one study showed that 60% of people who recovered from COVID-19 had signs of ongoing heart inflammation, which could lead to the common symptoms of shortness of breath, palpitations, and even rapid heartbeat. Now, the inflammation appeared even in those who had a mild case of COVID-19 and who had no medical issues before they ever got sick. So it's just, it's scary and it's kind of strange that we don't know why some people are getting these long-term effects and some people aren't. It's just what's happening. Another long-term effect that some people are seeing is kidney damage. Some people have distorted senses of smell and taste after COVID-19. Now, you've probably heard, if you know anybody who's had COVID, probably many at this point, I do, and one of the definite telltale signs was I couldn't smell or taste anything. Now, for most people, that resolves pretty quickly in a couple weeks once the COVID is gone, But for some people, this distorted sense of smell and taste is not resolving. So again, it's one of those long-term impacts. Some people are having long-term neurological problems in long COVID. Some people are having autonomic nervous system symptoms after COVID-19. Several people are having some mental health issues, and this definitely is one that I'm hearing more and more, that after surviving COVID-19, some people have this lingering anxiety, depression, and other mental health issues that they're struggling with. So a definite symptom and it's happening to people and it's real. This is real stuff. I mean, they're they're seeing it all over the world that this is a long-term impact. Some people are having issues with diabetes after COVID-19. So what is basically the point here? Well, we don't know how long long-term COVID impacts can last. That's the, that's the truth. The doctors don't know if these things will resolve over time. Obviously, they hope they will, but we have so little information right now that long-term COVID, they don't know how long some of those symptoms might last or if they will go away at all. So what is the treatment for long-term COVID? Well, doctors out there are trying to address the symptoms in multidisciplinary clinics, trying to resolve some of these individual long-term COVID symptoms that you're having. But overall, they're saying, how do you prevent it? The best way you can prevent it is to not get COVID-19, if at all possible. And that means practicing coronavirus precautions. You should still be wearing those masks out there. It is still out there and there are new strains coming out as well. And if you can get the COVID-19 vaccine as soon as possible, that's going to be one of the most effective ways to avoid getting COVID-19. So it is a very serious pandemic. There are a lot of interesting issues out there about the vaccine and COVID and tying politics into it. And I'll tell you right now, I'm not interested at all in getting into any of those conversations. I'm just here to give you the information that I get from the highest levels that I can find. This information today comes from John Hopkins Medicine. That is a very high up level. Um, This is not just Googling what is long-term COVID and getting it from the first website I could find. If you look up long-term COVID and really try to identify high-level sources of science, this is the information that you're going to get. So I know that getting the vaccine is scary for some people. Some people think that, oh, a vaccine has never come out this fast before. So how do we know what the long-term impacts are? 
I totally understand. I had those feelings initially as well until I did the research from these high-level sources and understand that there is really very little concern in getting the vaccine. You cannot get the vaccine and then get COVID from the vaccine. If that is a concern of yours, that does not happen. That's not how the vaccine works. But to me, what I really want to impress upon you is what is scarier to me than getting the vaccine is getting long-term COVID, long-term symptoms that they don't know why some healthy people are getting. It's not just the elderly out there. It's, it's so random out there. And to me, that is much more frightening that I would get or my child would get or my husband would get. And to me, that's why I have made the personal choice that my whole family has gotten vaccinated. So I just wanted to put that out there. I wanted to make it clear that it's not just getting COVID for two weeks. It's the potential for other things that could happen. I'm not saying it happens to everyone, but to me, it's frightening. It's frightening enough, like especially being an athlete, saying to me that my lungs could be impaired for a long-term period of time is very scary. So anyway, that's it on the vaccine and COVID. Let's get to the topic at hand. We are talking about body mass index today, BMI. And BMI is a standard health assessment tool in most healthcare facilities. And just so you know, most of the information that I've gotten today and done my research from comes from Healthline and also Health Harvard. So BMI, it's the standard tool that healthcare facilities use, that doctors use, and though it has been used for decades as this sort of go-to measurement for your health, based on your size, it's also been definitely criticized for many, many years for its oversimplification of what being healthy actually means. And in fact, many claim that BMI is very outdated, very inaccurate, and really shouldn't be used in medical and fitness settings. Now, if you're wondering what exactly is BMI, you probably heard it, but then you might not know exactly what it is. It does stand for Body Mass Index, and it was actually developed all the way back in 1832, and a gentleman developed it, and he developed the BMI scale to quickly estimate the degree of overweight and obesity in a given population to help the governments decide where to allocate health and financial resources. Kind of interesting, that's how, that's how it developed. And even more interesting, he stated that BMI was not useful in studying single individuals, but rather it's to give this snapshot of an overall population's health. So interesting that he created it and he's saying it's not for individuals it's more for this overall snapshot of what is going on basically in society now the bmi scale is based on a mathematical formula that determines whether a person is of quote unquote healthy weight by dividing pounds your weight in pounds by height in inches and squared 703 times. <laughs> and there's many BMI calculators online. Just Google BMI calculator and they will do the math for you. The National Institute of Health, actually, NIH, has a calculator that makes it nice and simple if you want to look your BMI up. Now, once your BMI is calculated, it's then compared to the BMI scale. So they give you this scale to look at to see where does your number fall. And that helps you determine if you fall within a normal weight range or are potentially considered obese 
or underweight. So you're gonna look at the scale and it's gonna tell you basically where you fall based on this BMI number, right? So is it a good indicator of health? Well, despite the concerns that BMI doesn't accurately identify whether a person is healthy, most studies do show that a person's risk of chronic disease and premature death, it does increase with a BMI that is considered underweight or obese. So an example is in 2017, a study of over 103,000 deaths found that those who did have a BMI of claiming to be in the obese level had one and a half to over two and a half times greater risk of death after a 30-year follow-up. And then another study showed that those in the obese category had a 20% increased risk of death from all causes and heart disease compared with those in the normal BMI category. The researchers also found that those who were either in the underweight or severely obese and extremely obese categories died an average of 6.7 years and 3.7 years earlier compared with those in the normal BMI categories. So this research is definitely showing, like he said, like as a population on the whole, it does have some clarity and it does sort of work as a population as a whole. But when it comes down to individuals, there are a few problems and downsides. So despite research, again, showing that low and high BMI does have these increased health risks, the flaws out there make it pretty severe, in my opinion, to actually work with a one-on-one person and tell them that their BMI is in a particular category. BMI only answers yes or no regarding whether a person is basically of normal weight without any context at all of their age, of their sex, genetics, lifestyle, their medical history, and so many other factors. And relying only on BMI really means that they, the doctors might miss a lot of important measurements of health, such as cholesterol, blood sugar, heart rate, blood pressure, inflammation levels, and overestimate or underestimate a person's true health by only looking at this one number, which is BMI, right? And what's more is that despite men and women varying body compositions, that this is probably the biggest thing, like men who have more muscle mass and less fat mass than women, BMI uses the same calculation for them as for women, right? So it's really not taking gender into account. Plus, as a person ages, their body naturally increases in fat mass and declines in muscle mass. We talk about that, unfortunately, all the time on my podcast, that as we get older, we're losing this muscle mass, right? But numerous studies have shown that a higher BMI in older adults can actually be protective against early death and disease. So taking age into account when looking at a BMI chart is very important and yet that's not really happening. Now, BMI also assumes that all weight is equal. Well, one pound of muscle, yes, it does weigh the same as one pound of fat, right? It's one pound to one pat, one pound to one pound, uh, muscle or fat, a pound is a pound, doesn't matter which one, right? But muscle is a lot denser it takes up a whole lot less space than fat. And as a result, a person could be very lean 
but have a very high muscle mass. You know people who have a lot of muscle on them, but very little fat. And that means, guess what? On the scale, they're gonna show heavy because that muscle weighs more than fat. Now, a lot of people always say, wait, I thought you just said one pound of muscle weighs one pound of fat. It does, a pound to a pound is equal, of course, but you can have a lot more muscle than fat because muscle is denser in the body. So someone who's very muscular is going to see a higher number on the scale. And so how do you think that plays into BMI? Because BMI doesn't take that into account, right? So an example would be a 200 pound person who's say 5'9", has a BMI of 29.5, and that classifies them as overweight. However, two people of the same height and the same weight could look completely different, right? One could be a bodybuilder with super high muscle mass, and the other could have no muscle but a ton of fat mass. If only BMI is considered, this could easily misclassify a person as being overweight or obese despite having very little fat mass at all. They might just have a ton of muscle. And so it is so important to consider a person's muscle, fat, bone mass in addition to their weight. Now, BMI also doesn't consider fat distribution. Though a greater BMI is linked to poor health outcomes, the location of fat on the body may actually be making a big difference. So you may have heard this before, but those with fat stored around their stomach area, that's known as the android or the apple-shaped body type, they have a greater risk of chronic disease compared to those with fat stored in their hips, their buttocks, their thighs, which is known as that pear shape. So an example, in a review of 72 studies, researchers found that those with apple-shaped fat distribution had significantly higher all-cause mortality risk, while those with pear-shaped fat distribution had a much lower risk. And in fact, the authors highlighted that BMI doesn't consider where this fat is stored on the body, and that can totally misclassify a person as being unhealthy or at risk of disease. Now, what should they use? If, if doctors aren't using BMI as a way to help assess if someone is overweight or underweight, what are some of the better alternatives out there? Well, despite a lot of the flaws in BMI, it is still used as a primary assessment tool today because it's very convenient, right? It's so simple for a doctor to input those numbers into a very quick calculator. It's very cost-effective and accessible in pretty much all healthcare settings. However, there are other alternatives that might be better indicators of a person's actual health because really at the end of the day, you're probably going to the doctor to have your health assessed, right? You wanna, you're having your checkup. You wanna know if you're healthy. So what other avenues or alternatives do we have to looking at BMI to assess if you are in fact a healthy person? Well, one thing doctors can do, or you can even do yourself, is something called waist circumference. A larger waist circumference, one that is greater than 35 inches in women or 40 inches in men, indicates greater body fat in the ab abdominal area 
and that is associated with a higher risk of chronic disease. Now, what's the benefit of doing it like this? It's very easy to measure. It only requires a measuring tape. What is the downside? Well, it doesn't consider the different body types, as we said, the apple shape, the pear shape, and it also doesn't consider the build of the body, your muscle mass, uh, even your bone mass. Another thing you can measure is waist to hip ratio. And that's defined basically as a high ratio, which is greater than 0.80 in women, greater than 0.95 in men, indicates higher fat stores in the stomach area, and that can be linked to greater risk of heart and chronic disease. A low waist to hip ratio, which they say is lower than or equal to 0.8 in women and lower than or equal to 0.95 in men, that one suggests higher hip fat storage, which is associated with better health. Because as we said, that fat distribution can actually help tell us if there's going to be a health concern. Now, the benefits of this also, it's very easy to measure. It requires only a measuring tape and basically a calculator. What is a downside would be that it doesn't consider different body types again, whether apple shape or pear shape, and it still doesn't really take into account if you have a lot of muscle or bone mass. Another thing that they can look at is your body fat percentage. And this is the relative amount of body fat that a person has. The benefit of going with a body fat percentage is that it distinguishes between the fat mass and the fat-free mass and it's a more accurate representation of health risk than BMI. But what do you think the downside is of body fat percentages? Well, there's a super high risk of error with the convenient assessment tools you have maybe seen in the gym, like skinfold measurements. Have you ever seen a trainer come out and start measuring people's, basically their, their fat mass with a skinfold tool, basically. Um, there's also these portable bioelectrical impedance analysis. There's these at-home scales, which we've talked about before, that are not very accurate at all. And unfortunately, the more accurate tools for getting a true body fat percentage, they're very expensive. They're not really accessible. It's things like dual energy x-rays, um, underwater weighing, which is probably the most accurate one that people can access. Like you can go to these places and go in these dunk tanks to see what your body fat is. And that's probably the most efficient, effective way to get a body fat percentage. How do I feel about the whole dunk tank? Well, if you really wanna do it, you can Google it and find one in your area. But again, they're not necessarily cheap or convenient. People ask me all the time, well, what's your body fat percentage? And I always tell them, I have no idea. I could care less. Like it doesn't, to me, that is not a big issue. I'm not willing to go into a dunk tank to be told that my body fat is actually really good or really low or really high or whatever the case may be. I don't really think that it's worth it to go ahead and get an expensive uh, tool like that. But if you're just dying to know, the body fat percentage is probably one of the better ways to do it through these dunk takes. But if you're just doing it because you wanna know what your body fat is, that's one thing. If you're doing it because you really want to assess if you're healthy or if you have health conditions that you know concern you or you're concerned that as you get older that you might be 
at risk for health problems, there's probably many other things that you can do to assess that besides getting your body fat tested. And one of those things might be the next option, which are lab tests, right? So various blood work can be done, vital sign measurements that can indicate chronic disease, like just your simple blood pressure being taken, what is your heart rate, how is your cholesterol, your blood glucose, inflammation in the body. Now, these things are great because they provide a more detailed review of a person's metabolic health, right? It's not relying only on body fat as a measurement of health. What's the downside? Well, most of the time, a single lab value is really not going to be enough to diagnose a risk factor potentially. Regardless of the assessment tool used, it's important for healthcare providers to not just rely on one test alone. For example, a healthcare provider may measure a person's BMI and waist circumference, and if concern arises from both of those together, then maybe you follow up with a blood test from there. But it's so important to treat each patient as an individual person to determine what healthy is for them, again, based on their body type, their age, their gender, even how they're doing mentally, emotionally, spiritually, All of these things are going to determine their overall health, right? So what's basically the bottom line here? Well, the body mass index, your BMI, it's pretty controversial as a health assessment tool, in my opinion and many people's opinions at this point, as you can see, to estimate a person's body fat and risk of health. It's just, it's way too controversial. It is not looking at the big picture. Research typically shows a greater risk of chronic disease as BMI increases above the normal range. That much we know, right? Um, And a low BMI is also linked to poor health outcomes. But that being said, BMI fails to consider all the aspects of your health, like your age, your sex, the amount of fat on your body, body, the muscle mass, what is your race, your genetics, your medical history, All of those things are going to give you a lot more information than just one number on a scale that compares you to everybody else when you're not taking the whole picture into account. And so if you're really trying to see what your health inequalities are, it's probably not going to be done best by just looking at your BMI, right? So BMI can be a useful starting point but I really don't think it should be the only measurement for your health. And if you go to the doctor and they tell you that your BMI is high and that you're considered in the overweight category or the obese category, I want you to push your doctor to do some other types of tests to determine and verify and make sure that you truly are in that level of concern. I mean, it's a concern to be obese. I don't want anybody to be obese because it does impact your health and your long-term life, obviously, right? But if they tell you that, then I would ask for blood work to be done. I would want to see all the numbers. I would want the waist measured and all the ratios. And maybe at that point I would go in a dunk tank if if that's what it took to verify that yes, in fact, you are obese or overweight and it is a high concern. If you are someone who has a lot of muscle mass, 
then just know that is probably impacting that number. Um, we also didn't even talk about, but it also, also how tall you are could impact that BMI. So someone who's really short versus someone who's really tall, all of these things are going to make that impact. So if your doctor tells you something that you don't wanna hear, then you go back and you make sure that they do a full evaluation of all of the other things to truly determine where your health is. And, and obviously all that I want is that you know that you're healthy and if you're not, then at that point get the tools that you need to fix something if you do need to lose weight um, or maybe you're in a perfectly healthy zone. So that's everything about BMI. I think it is so important that people understand it because when you do go to the doctor and they tell you, oh, you're in the obese level, it can be quite shocking for someone to hear that who's a super fit person with a lot of muscle. And it can be upsetting to hear that because if you are someone with a lot of muscle, you're probably working out and you're probably doing your very best to take care of yourself. So I don't think a lot of doctors have the best bedside manner when it comes to giving this BMI information. And now I wanna make sure that I'm giving you the tools to assess what questions that you could ask your doctor to further your information about your overall health. All right, everybody, that's it for today. Earn That Body, always here to bring you fitness, nutrition, and health information you can put into play right away. And just so you know, if you are someone who, if you are trying to lose weight right now, definitely reach out. Go to earnthatbody.com. I have some fantastic programs. And just so you know, all of my programs, everything that I do is based on health and sustainable weight loss, no fad diets, no starving on a thousand calories a day, regular exercise, nothing crazy out there. You know, just doing what you need to do so that the weight can come off again in a sustainable way so that you can get off the yo-yo diet. All right, everybody, have a great week. Until next time. For more information about Kim Eagle's online programs, go to earnthatbody.com or check out Earn That Body on all forms of social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube.